0: Today, Craig will be preaching through the beginning of Revelation. So we'll be in Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep that which is written in it, for the time is near. Good morning, everybody. Let me just take a minute uh, to welcome anybody who's new. We're glad you're here. Um, Thanks for coming this morning, and I'm excited. Bit, bit of a kid-in-a-candy-store feel. We've got a new sermon series in front of us. Loved our time through the life of David, and now uh, Revelation. We're not going to go all the way through, though that day, Lord willing, will come, and I look forward to it very much. But uh, in what we're going to do uh, for the next, for, through the summer, we're going to look uh, at the first three chapters of Revelation, and specifically the letters to the seven churches of Revelation. So that's what we're going to start in today. I don't, I don't know what it's like for you uh, in your life, how important or significant screens figure into your life. I assume it's probably a pretty prominent part, at least for my kids. I've got five kids from top to bottom, all five of them. Screens time is a very important time in our house. They love them. It's a reward that they seek after, whether it's iPads, iPhones, movies, PS4. We love it. In many ways, that's kind of the age that we live in, right? Games and screens and movies, and I like it. I like it, too. I I stink at Madden, but I'll play Madden. I like it. We're in an age where visual images, in a lot of ways, replace written words, though. I heard about an exchange between two people recently where one man asked another, what's your favorite book? And the other man responded and said, whatever book they're about to make into a movie, I don't read. We live in an age where, as Pastor David Helms says, we've traded words for pictures, literature for film, printed text for visual image. And though at first glance, a book like Revelation might seem unapproachable, it actually might be one of the best fits for our particular cultural highly visual moment I hope we can see that this morning that's part of what I want to convey to you is this this is for us when I was a kid this is don't try this at home people okay don't do what I did when I was a kid I I found I sat in church I, I grew up going to church I used to sit in that section over there and when the preacher was preaching I would honestly kind of get bored tune out right None of you do that, right? Right? <laughs> I would tune out, and when I was in my youth, and we didn't, in that day we did not have phones to distract us or anything like that, I would, the only book that I had in front of me was the Pew Bible, and so I'd pull the Pew Bible out, and I would always turn to the very back. i turned to Revelation. Why would I want to turn to Revelation? Dragons. Fire. Blood. Wars. Death. Resurrection. Sorrow, joy, adventure, fighting, it was all there. Beasts, scorpion-like horses, and bowls of wrath. Man, that's exciting. You guys watch shows like that, right? But as I got older, I got overwhelmed by Revelation, if I'm honest. Overwhelmed by confusion. I recognized that this was a very deep book that can cause interpretive differences between true Christians. And then it started to feel unapproachable. I mean, this is, what, this is what I tell myself. What do I know? I'm not an expert. I better leave that to them, to those experts. Though we aren't going to go through all of Revelation, we're focusing on the letters to those churches that I mentioned earlier. I want to encourage you, though, that this book, the whole book of Revelation, is exciting and profoundly encouraging for you, right now. I want you to know that it's accessible. There's a time and a place to study the details of the book, but to be honest, I think that the 10-year-old Craig that was sitting in the pew reading Revelation while the sermons were going on, he understood what the 20-year-old Craig missed. It's not, Revelation is not a complex puzzle to to be dissected and figured out. It's a picture book, a series of moving pictures. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see an epic battle. We see judgment and blessing, life and death, rescue and defeat and redemption, and ultimately, Jesus and his great victory. It's not a book only for experts. It's a book for you. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be blessed Truly blessed. Do you want to be happy? Of course you do. And if so, this book is for you. Believe it or not, it's incredibly practical for your life right now. So the question is, how does this vivid display translate to blessing and life right now in my life in 2019? Well, Let's dive in, let's watch and listen and ask the Lord to show us that. So let's pray right now. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you've given it to us. And we recognize that we need you to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes to see the glory there. So that's what I'm asking, Father. Come and open our eyes today, come and open my eyes today, open my brother's and sister's eyes, all of our eyes in this room to see you to see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this sermon today is going to function as an introduction to the book of Revelation, Um, but that's because it's what the first three verses are. The first three verses of Revelation are actually an introduction to the entire book. Just before we dive in, I I would also encourage you, if you grabbed a bulletin on your way in, there's a little section on there for notes, or if you have a, a notebook or a a journal or something that you want to scribble notes on. This is this. There's going to be a lot of information coming at you today because I want to try to set up the book as a whole as we're diving in. We'll be hitting a number of important things. So as we dive into this book here, uh, I want to introduce it to you by asking three questions. And here are the three questions I'm going to give them all to you up front. And we're then we're going to take them one by one and answer them. The three questions we're going to ask are: one, what is it? What is Revelation? Two, how is it delivered? And then three, why does it matter? What is it? How is it delivered? Why does it matter? Those are the three questions we're going to answer today. So let's dive into the first one. What is it? If you have your Bibles open, I, I would encourage you to have your Bible open. We're going to look back at the Bible multiple times throughout this sermon. We're looking at verse 1 first. So let me just reread that real quick. So this is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So right off the bat, we see that it is a revelation, right? Not revelations. Don't call it revelations. It's just one revelation. And that's what it is. It's a revelation. It's basically pulling back the curtains on all of the universe. Not only the scene but also the unseen spiritual realities that exist right now. It kind of makes me think of Wizard of Oz. you guys seen the Wizard of Oz? The old, I don't know if there's a newer one. I'm talking about the old one that I grew up with. In the movie, if, if you haven't watched it, there's a wizard, and he's housed in the Emerald City. And the main characters eventually make their way to him, and he's scary and seemingly all-powerful. There's fire, and he's got a big face and everything. But the little dog, Toto goes and pulls back the curtain to reveal he's just a man running some machines and speaking into a microphone. What we see isn't necessarily the whole reality, and that's what Revelation does on all of the cosmos. Revelation pulls back the curtain. We perceive one thing with our eyes and our ears, but God wants to show to us, to reveal to us what's really happening, the whole picture, So what specifically does it reveal? The text says it is a revelation. This, again, is verse 1. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that can be actually taken in two different ways. We could say that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ in the sense that it's a revelation of Jesus. He's the content. This is about Jesus. Or we could say that Jesus is the source of the content. He's the one telling it to us. This is from Jesus. Jesus. And what we'll see, as this book unfolds, is while Jesus definitely figures in as a prominent character, it reveals far more than just him. It's a far bigger picture than him. Here, in short, is what author Tony Rinkey said, Revelation shows us. I love what he says. He said, Revelation provides us with high-def footage. There's that visual, right? It provides us with high-def footage of the climactic conclusion of world history It ties together and consummates all of God's redemptive purposes in this world, and it delivers us to the doorstep of a glorious eternity. That's why I like the imagery of pulling back the curtain. It's going to show us, God is going to show us how the world ends. He's going to show us how the past, present, and future all fit in together to accomplish his purposes. And we get a glimpse with John into heaven itself. So second, we're still answering this question: What is it? It's a revelation given by God to His servants. It's something for us, for all of us. though certainly complicated at various points. This book is not some sort, is not for some sort of spiritual or intellectual elite. It's for you today. God wants to show you something. He wants to show me something. I read a story about a group of uh, seminary students. These are guys who study the Bible. They were playing basketball one night, and off in the corner, there was a janitor in the gym. He was reading, reading a book. And they went up to him afterwards and said, hey, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading the Bible. And they said, oh, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading Revelation. Well, these seminary students, they wanted to enlighten him, right? Tell him what it's about. And they asked him, well, what, what, is, what is the book all about? And the janitor responded, it's about how Jesus wins. That's right. He got it. He got it. Or take the example of a pastor who simply read the book. He didn't explain it. He just read the book in front of his congregation. And by simply reading it, as the Spirit of God moved among his people, they responded in worship, repentance of sin, and prayer. It's for you. Remember, this book was meant to be read aloud in churches, so for the original audience, they would sit there and have it read to them. As one theologian named Vern Poitras put it, he said, Revelation is a picture book, not a puzzle book. So, finally, what is it showing to us? It's showing what must take place. So, what we see in descriptive pictorial language is the fulfillment or already begun fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies in the kingdom that Jesus establishes. It's explicitly called prophecy in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, it says the word prophecy there. I don't know about you, but when I think about the word prophecy, when somebody says prophecy to me, I typically think of something in the future, right? You're going to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow or next year or next century. Somewhere off. And that's definitely part of it, but that's not all of it. It's also a word for the people right then. That's the way Old Testament prophecy functioned, too. Old Testament prophecy can really be categorized, and prophecy in general in the Bible can be categorized in two, uh, serving two different functions. One is foretelling, and one is forth-telling. Foretelling and forth-telling. Foretelling is what I just mentioned, that it's going to tell you what's going to happen. For example, Ezekiel the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, goes to the people and he's going to tell them, here's what's going to happen next. telling is a word for God's people right then, right now. So Ezekiel goes to the people and tells them to repent, change the way you behave, change your hearts, turn to God. It's for them right then. Revelation also has both, foretelling and forthtelling. And that is really important. Here's why. If Revelation was only foretelling—that is, telling the future, completely in the future—the logical response would be probably for all of us, considering what's laid out for us here, for all of us to go build a well-stocked bunker in our basement and wait for the end of the world. But that's not what it's about. That's not the whole picture. It's not just a roadmap about what's going to happen and how does it survive this horrific destruction. And maybe for me, as I was reading it, this might have been the biggest shock. It's not just about what's gonna happen. In my teens, I think this was part of what figured into it. In my teens, I had a pretty steady diet of books and movies that kind of cultivated this fear about revelation and what's gonna come. It was totally about the future, nothing to do with today. But that's not what this book is meant to do. It's about foretelling the future and forth right now it's about things that must take place that God says will take place you can count on it so that's what it is it's a revelation given to us and it's going to show us what's taking place now and in the future now second question how is it delivered how is it delivered to us this is verses the end of verse 1 and into verse 2 he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. You see that at the end of verse one there? He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So this is God's delivery to us. I cannot get past the Amazon delivery man imagery when I think about deliveries. That guy knocks on my door every day, I feel like. It's 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 a package, right? He's he's delivering to us, but this one has e- is is of eternal weight and eternal glory. But this is God's word, right? It's not just a package coming to our doorstep. There are several pieces though that make up a package when you get it. And let's talk about let's talk about the different pieces. First there's the box, right? The box that it comes in. Just like when you order something from from Amazon, the delivery comes to you in a certain form or format. Look at the the start of that new sentence in verse one. It says, he made it known. That first phrase, made it known, can also be translated as symbolized or used symbols to show. And in fact, the people who were receiving this letter, who heard this letter read to them out loud, would know exactly what John was talking about. This is a type of literature called apocalyptic literature. And it was familiar to the people of that time. They knew that it was symbolic in nature. Now, even today, we read literature, different categories of literature in different ways. Let's just compare the way that we had been reading 1 and 2 Samuel. So First and 2 Samuel is a historical book, right? Um, it tells us about the period of Israel's history around the life and reign of King David. That's just what we looked at. Now, let's compare that to the Psalms which is a book of poetry and music. We read them differently. Let me give you an example. So in 1 Samuel, we might read that David went from such and such a place to such and such a place and did a certain thing. We we, we recognize this is straightforward. This is history. It's just telling us what happened. We don't allegorize it or over-spiritualize it and say, oh, when it says that David is going from place A to place B, it actually means that God wants to move his people from point A to point B, or some sort of spiritual application to our life. It's straightforward factual information. But when we read Psalm 19, for example, Psalm 19:1 says this: "The heavens declare the glory of God." We read it differently than how we would read First and Second Samuel. We read it differently when it's telling us a historical account of David's life. Some of you, when you when you think of Psalm nineteen one, the heavens declare the glory of God, recognize it's a literary device called anthropomorphism. That's a mouthful, right? It's just a fancy pants word that means you're assigning human characteristics to something that's not human, right? So we're assigning something that humans would do, which is declare the glory of God, to the heavens, to the sky. When Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, that does, we all already know that that does not mean that the sky is talking right now. That's not what that means. It's a different type of literature, and so we read it in a different type of way. There's certain rules that govern the way we read certain types of literature. And so when we come to a type of literature like this, Revelation, called apocalyptic literature, it also has its own set of rules, On how to read it. Thus, when we interpret Revelation, we need to recognize that God, through John, plans to use symbols throughout this book to relay timeless truths. And you got to be sure about this, symbolic does not mean no meaning. It means that the symbols are there to convey realities behind the pictures. The meaning is conveyed, conveyed symbolically. So, we got the package, and now we need a delivery person, right? Who's doing the delivering? Who is the messenger? Well, if you follow the path of this passage, it says that God gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John, and then John gave it to us. This is what theologians might refer to as the doctrine of Scripture. Consider this for a moment, just right now. How do you know about God? how did you come to know him how do you know who he is what he's done what he's like what his character is the profound and humbling answer is that he has made it known to us hasn't he he had to open it up to us he had to open himself up to us he had to tell us in other words he's revealed himself to us how has he revealed himself to us He worked through ordinary people like you and like me with their distinct personalities and characteristics to reveal himself authoritatively to us through his word, the Bible. The Apostle Peter actually gives a good definition of what I'm talking about in 2 Peter. He says this in 2 Peter 1 verses 20 and 21. He said, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered them. They wrote it down. This was from God through a human vehicle to us. And I hope as we talk about this, it doesn't just stay up in the intellectual realm, but it actually does two things to your heart as we're talking about how Scripture has come to us. First, I hope it gives you confidence in this book that we have, in the Bible, that it's the authoritative Word of God. You can trust it, and it is powerful. It is a treasure. You know, just, this, just the last couple days, I went with a few guys from the church to a preaching workshop called the Simeon Trust. Highly recommend it. We were going through an intensive study of the book of Mark, learning not only about the book of Mark, but how to teach narrative Bible literature and how to preach it. What an amazing book that is. You can read it and it's beautiful, but you can go deeper and deeper and with every successive layer, it just takes on greater and greater and greater beauty. That is God's word. That is what he has given to us. And, second, I hope that you worship God, that he made himself known to us. He did not have to, but in love he has spoken to us, told us how to live, revealed his heart, told us of the path of life through faith in his son Jesus. He made himself known to us. Praise God. So it's a symbolic, let's just recap how it was delivered to us. It is a symbolic message that has been delivered from God down to us. Now finally, just this final question about how it was delivered, what, what actually was in the box? What was delivered? Obviously, we're going to unpack more of that each week throughout the summer. But right here, we see that John is witnessing or testifying to us what he was shown. And what was he shown? He was shown God's word about Jesus Christ. Those two in your, in your Bible, if you look at it, it's, they're parallel. It's something he saw, and it's something that God's, it was God's word about Jesus. If you've ever seen something great, I don't know about you, but I think most of us want to tell people about it. If you've seen something really awesome, you want to witness to others about what you've, saw, what you've seen. Back in 2005, I had the privilege of being at what many consider the greatest game in Illinois basketball history. I know it's a sports illustration. You don't don't have to like sports. You'll get it. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. Lead eight, Illinois versus Arizona. Illinois came back and beat Arizona. It was a great victory. It was a very exciting game. But the interesting thing about that, and the reason I illustrate that, is because I have had, to this moment, even now, I, I I have this lasting impulse to share that with you. I want to tell you about what I saw. It was awesome. Here's what happened. Here's what I was doing. Here's here's the way we responded, because it was great. I want to witness to the greatness that I saw. And that's what John is doing for us. He's witnessing God's word about the greatness of Jesus, about the greatness of his work, about the greatness of who he is. And now, final question. Why does it matter? That's verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You can really see, <clears throat> excuse me, the answer to the question, why does it matter, pop off the page as you read it. He says, blessed twice. If you read it, and you hear it, and you keep it, we're blessed. Now, in my experience, the word blessed. I'm sure in your experience, too, it can be misused in a lot of different ways. I'm tempted to give you all kinds of bad examples of the word blessed and how it's misused. But let me just say here in Revelation, when we're told that we'll be blessed if we listen and read it and obey it, that means that the God of the universe, the Lord of glory, who loved us and gave Jesus for us, he has something very, very good for us here. When we are told right here, I'm going to say this again. When we're told that we're blessed in reading this, you can know in reading and in watching and in keeping what is spelled out in Revelation, God has something very, very good for you. I hope you keep coming back every week. God, I promise, not my promise, God promises he has something good for you in Revelation. He's going to bless you. Blessed are you. Revelation was not primarily written for us to have intellectual speculation about what the future holds or that what those different symbols mean. It's primarily meant for application. There's an expected ethical or behavioral response. It's not merely a set of predictions, but in the same vein as many of the Old Testament prophets, what we've already talked about. This is a word from God calling for obedient response in the lives of the believers. Whenever you read and listen and keep the word of God, you're going to be blessed. And what an encouragement this is to us, right at the outset, right here at the beginning of Revelation, right in our faces, so clear out of mouth out of the mouth of God. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be happy, truly happy? Well, then read and listen and keep what is written here how will you be blessed well let me just list a few ways that we'll be blessed as we read and listen and keep what's written here in revelation as we go with john into the very presence of god we'll be blessed with hope in a sorrowful world with joy in a mundane or depressing or lifeless world we'll be blessed with confidence in a shaky world we'll be blessed with clarity in a confusing world, with purpose, great eternal purpose in a distracting world. We'll be given great mission in a lull you to sleep, passive world. We'll be given endurance in a world full of evil. And one more thing we shouldn't miss. The last phrase, the last little phrase of verse 3 says this, for the time is near. It certainly carries a tone of urgency, and that is right. What John says here needs to be heeded and needs to be kept now. But that little phrase actually echoes all kinds of phrases throughout the Bible. Like, for example, Mark 1, verse 15, where Jesus says this. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand Long before Jesus ever walked the earth, the Old Testament prophets spoke about the coming kingdom of God. They said that the kingdom would be established by a glorious eternal king. He would rule perfectly and righteously, and he would establish a kingdom that would last forever, that would be for all peoples of all the world. What the Old Testament prophets looked forward to, John saw face to face. That king has come, and his name is Jesus. He established his kingdom by dying for his people and rising to display his eternal power and dominion and reign. When Jesus did that, he brought us, his people, his church, into the time that we wait for his final return, to completely establish his kingdom, to judge the earth, righting all the wrongs, to totally end sin, suffering, and death, and to rule over the earth. Jesus, the righteous, eternal king, is coming again. And he will do that. He will judge the earth. That's what we just said in the Apostles' Creed. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And he is coming soon. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted in him, that is your great hope. So let me ask you, do you know him? Maybe you've never trusted him. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Trust him. He is the eternal king. He is the glorious one. He is revealed to you here in his word. Let me ask you, do you want to be blessed? Let's read and listen and obey what the Lord has for us in Revelation. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be blessed, but we know that we are weak and we need you to help us. Come, Lord, come and speak to us. Help us to listen Help us to see your glory, here in your word, unfurled before us. And help us to obey, to keep your commands. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the true, eternal king. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.